0: MSW Media. This week, as our attention was diverted by Justice Kavanaugh joining the Supreme Court and a White House visit from Kanye West, young children continue to be separated from their parents at the border. Despite legal actions against the Trump administration, family separations continue. And there have been recent reports of very young children being persuaded to sign away their rights by federal immigration officials. Why do children continue to be separated? What can we do to reunite families? And why are young children being permitted to sign away their rights? Let's get on topic. Welcome to On Topic, a weekly in-depth look at a topic that helps us understand the week's news. My name is Renato Mariotti. I'm a former federal prosecutor, a practicing lawyer, and a CNN legal analyst. And I'm joined by my friend Patty Vasquez, a comedian and WGN radio host who will join us regularly on this podcast. So, Patty, I got to tell you, I was determined to make this the topic this week When I read that New Yorker article about the five-year-old girl named Helen who was—you could call it—they said persuaded. I'd call it tricked into signing away her right to a hearing in front of a judge— uh, by these uh, immigration officials
1: look I was still waiting for Santa Claus to come down our chimney when I was five years old I don't even know that I would have understood anything when it comes to what my right what my rights are as a five-year-old this is you know what's the problem here uh, Renato is that it's very hard to sustain outrage is what I just realized as you were talking about Kanye and all these other things that Trump says and all these other distractions it's not just that we're distraction is it's an outrage is exhausting and it's consuming right when 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 we saw all the video of children being uh, corralled in fences and in these huts or in, in cages, you know, we were obviously we were outraged and you could and but it, it wears off because not only does something else come along, it's also your ability to to well, you feel as though you're powerless. Right. If, if it's mm-hmm. not going to change, what can you fundamentally do to help little girls? Like I think her name is Helene. Hel- or, yeah, Helene and, right. and and she, you know, she signs over her rights and we just kind of go We at this point we're like. Yeah, that sounds about right for this administration. Yeah. It's, I, it, we're not surprised anymore.
0: Yeah, I mean, certainly when this story first broke, all of us were outraged. I. You know, was one of the people who's helping to organize people in Chicago to to uh, go to a rally in, in opposition to mm-hmm. that policy and to march, and got you know got people together. And but at, at a certain point, you know, we obviously, you know, what are we going to keep marching every single day? It is it's very hard because as you pointed, there's a lot of things that are always going on with this administration, uh, and this this one it's really hard. You know, there are federal judges who are overseeing suits right now. Who I think have the same view you do, who are as frustrated as you are. I mean, you, you, you know, when I read the reporting and look at, you know, the orders that are coming from these federal judges, what they're being told is, well, you know, yes, you've ordered us to reunite these families, but. We can't find these set of parents. We're not able to, um, you know, bring this person here or there. You know, essentially, the government's saying, "Look, we're doing everything we can, right? But we can't do what we t- we can't undo what we did, and we can't do what
1: you're ordering us to do." And they wouldn't have to undo it if they didn't do it. See, this is the the crazy mind game. If they weren't going after every single person coming across the border, I mean, and I've read how now there are. Uh, fewer and fewer drug apprehensions. They're not getting uh, the drug dealers, and so we're going to have more drugs on the street in certain parts of the country because that's not what they're focused on. They're focused on individuals coming across the borders. And the thing is that Trump voters want this. If you look at any of the 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 posts that they have, basically on social media they'll say, Well, if they you know, if they didn't want to be separated, they wouldn't have crossed the border illegally. And and now can I ask you a question? What is, is uh what is uh speeding considered? Is that like a is that a misdemeanor or is that just a tra- what's a moving violation count as
0: yeah, usually um, here in Illinois, it's it's usually not even a misdemeanor. Now,
1: I was gonna say I'm. I don't know what misdemeanor you could be uh, taken out of the country for. <laughs> because people are being right, they're being sent away. They're being sent back for a misdemeanor. This isn't even something that would be uh, punishable by prison time.
0: General, I mean, what what it is? So just so people understand. Illegal entry into the United States is typically a misdemeanor. Right, you have to do it more than once for it to become a felony. Um, and so, literally, what's happening is, you know, they are prosecuting every single one of the people that enters the country with a misdemeanor. This is their this is what the Trump administration is calling their zero tolerance policy. And it's very much a contrast to what's happened in the past, because in the past, often we would handle these matters civilly. And what civil means is just that you're not going through criminal proceedings. You're not arresting somebody right. and, and going through and charging with a crime and going through this whole process. Because in this country, if you are charged with a crime, whether you are here, you know, an American citizen or not, you are entitled to certain rights. You're entitled to potentially a lawyer. You're Titled to um, due process of, you know, of law. And so, you, you know, you have to have all sorts of processes that are followed before you can be indicted and convicted and so on. And, and so what ends up happening is instead of our prosecutors here in this country focusing on all sorts of crimes, you mentioned, um, you know, narcotics trafficking being one kind of crime, but there are all sorts, whether it's white collar crime or cyber crime or public corruption. Uh, Instead of uh, prosecutors focusing on those more serious crimes, we have prosecutors churning out tons of misdemeanor prosecutions and a court system, by the way, in many of these areas. That is where judges are overwhelmed with these cases where essentially people are being brought in charged with illegal entry. We have to go through this entire process with them just so we can release them on time served and send them back across the border, which we could have done on day one, just sent them back across the border without going through this elaborate,
1: costly process. I I, Again, it's it's mind-blowing that we're using our resources this way to go after every single person. And again, I go back to the misdemeanor as an example of if an American citizen committed a misdemeanor, let's say it is reckless driving, right, which can be considered a misdemeanor in certain places, and your kids are in the car, would you expect to be separated, have your kids be put into a facility and held there? While well, you were, you know, it, it, you wouldn't expect that. that. That that's not how it works.
0: Yeah, I have to say, you know, one thing that was interesting in in hearing you, you know, we were talking about it a moment ago, Patty, is you were talking about how this is something that, you know, can't essentially can't be undone, and that's what I think is people fail to understand. Even if you do reunite the family. Can you imagine a young child, whether, you know, that one little girl is five years old, you can imagine a five-, six-, seven-, eight-year-old child or a three-year-old child being separated from their parents, the trauma that that causes to a child that they have to live with for the rest of their lives? You know, when we have other actions that the state takes that can't be reversed, like the death penalty, there Mm -hmm. are a lot of increased safeguards in place to ensure that some level of process, significant level of processes, is undergone before that action is taken, because it's such a, it's not only severe. Obviously, it's a very severe action. It's in, you know, it's one of the things that's probably more severe than this. But it is un, you can't undo it. And here. Separating a young child from their parents really can't be fully undone. Uh, to me, the idea that we are doing that in a haphazard way without any process or any serious process is very, very disturbing.
1: And the, I think the other thing uh, that we uh, have been un- unable to wrap our minds around is that, and why we're not sustaining that outrage. I think a lot of people felt like this was resolved, as though you know this had uh, it kind of worked out. Mm-hmm. They figured it all out, and that's not the case. It, it continues, and and in so many instances, as with how I'm not, I think it's how. Uh I, I tried to turn it into a Spanish sounding name because uh, it's just my it's just my way. But uh, <laughs> here's a little girl who crossed the Rio Grande with her grandmother and nearly drowned. Um, and that was I mean, that was ultimately uh, one of the I mean, this little girl almost died on the way here, escaping uh, Honduras, where her family was being threatened by crime, by gangs, uh, trying to find a place. I mean, nobody comes here willy nilly. You know, they they, they risk their lives coming here. And now to further that by removing her grandmother was not allowed to stay with her. Uh, The authorities said that they would reunite the little girl with her parents if they happen to find her. I mean, how is that a solution? Even I mean, the fact that we have people, Americans working under these circumstances who are just following the policy or the laws or whatever the way they're interpreting it is incomprehensible to so many of us. Yeah, I have to
0: say too. You know, we were talking about fleeing uh, problems in Honduras. You know, one thing that people have heard—I'm sure a lot of people have heard—the term "refugee" and what does that mean? It actually, has a legal significance under international law. Um, the United States, along with other countries, is required to consider. Um, the applications of refugees when they come to a port of entry in the United States. And one of the consequences of the Trump administration's policy is that we haven't been fulfilling our obligations under international law. So the United States was a safe haven for refugees throughout its existence. We've been a country where if you are a refugee and you're fleeing a tyrannical government or a government that is um, you know, harming you in some way or threatening you in some way, this was a safe haven you could come to. And, and in fact, of course, that's how our country was founded, from people who are fleeing oppression elsewhere. Uh, and now uh, we're, you know, refugees are getting a different message that they are not welcome here. And the Trump administration has been employing all sorts of tactics to try to um, prevent it, th- this country from being a, a haven for refugees,
1: and the the fact that they roll out every single time they want to bang this drum, they they roll out you know criminals or families that have been affected by illegal immigrants who committed crime. When it's demonstrably provable that the that immigrants, illegal immigrants, actually commit fewer crimes than right. the general population,
0: yeah, and that I have to say is just purely trying to deceive the public. It is it's it's so offensive to me. As somebody who investigated crime for many years, it, as you point out, there are lots of studies that make it clear that Ill, that people who who come here illegally commit fewer crimes than people who are homegrown uh, criminals and frankly if we if our goal was to protect people from committing crimes we would be div- we would be taking all these efforts and all this energy that we're putting towards this in- t- towards immigration and we would be focusing on serious crimes here in the United States and there are a lot of them you know donald trump likes to use chicago as a whipping uh. boy as essentially his, uh, uh, you know, ba- his uh, pinata to attack, um, wh- you know, about crime here in Chicago. Of course, there are crime, there's crime in a lot of cities, and on a per capita basis, other cities have more serious violent crime issues. And higher murder rates. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yet, if he really cared, if he, he so actually cared about Stopping murder rates here in Chicago. What he would do is be taking these resources that are being used to to prosecute people for misdemeanors at
1: the border and send those prosecutors here uh, to combat violent crime. Well, that's the biggest problem. Law enforcement here says that you know even when they are able to work with the neighborhoods, the communities, and apprehend somebody who has committed a violent crime, the rate at which they're prosecuted and then the rate at which they're sentenced does not it doesn't back. They're not getting a feeling that they're backed up by the system. Well, I will. It's like five say- percent.
0: Yeah, I you know it's it, it was really interesting. Uh, you know, a, a year or two ago, the state's attorney, the the state prosecutors here, released statistics on exactly how many shootings got prosecuted here in Chicago, and it was something like one percent of shootings. You know, it's a, a minuscule percentage of shootings actually got prosecuted. So you know, if you're a rational a criminal in in certain areas of Chicago, you might as well commit a shooting because your chances of getting caught are very, very low and you you can actually there's literally statistics released by uh, by these prosecutors that say that, and in the meantime, we are rounding up people who don't pose a danger, and we are going through criminal process to prosecute these people for what you know if it was if a local's prosecutor's office decided to do that. I would think they were trying to pad their statistics with worthless prosecutions. Wow. That's what I would be my assumption. Here, it is literally being done for political reasons. And it seems to me for two 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 things that come to mind. One is to tell their base that they're being, quote, tough on immigration. Mm-hmm. But also, I, potentially, they may think that over time they could send a message if they treat— people who come to this country so badly, perhaps the word will get out and we'll start getting fewer people coming to this country, because it seems to me that Stephen Miller and a lot of these people in the White House, their goal is to lower
1: legal immigration into the United States. And and that's the case. I have to believe that as well, because so many people will say, well, they're, you know, i don 't want my culture to change we 've had callers on my show say you know well, look at how much they 've already had an impact on our on our culture, and what they 're saying is many people will say it 's the white culture they don't they don 't like the, they don 't like the fact that they 're changing our country. This is what I get from callers what and
0: what does that even mean white culture you know I have to tell you i 'm an italian american my pa- my parents uh you know are were are obviously the son and daughter of immigrants who came here. We have our own culture and our own our own food and right. you know cultural traditions and neighborhoods and everything that are very different than people who are Polish who came here. Uh, I, I to call to lump us together and say that we have one culture oh. doesn't make any sense to me as somebody who's. An Italian-American.
1: There are so many people that get annoyed with the fact that there are other languages on the ballot. Why, why do we have, to have all these languages? Why can't they all read English? The, 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 just the, if the image of another language disturbs you, there is so much more wrong in your life than just uh, illegal immigration. Yeah, it, I mean,
0: if you are more disturbed by that, than you're disturbed at the story of a five-year-old girl being you know, essentially you know tricked into signing away her rights then there's something seriously wrong with you.
1: Exactly. That's that's it. I, I don't I can't get my mind around it. And then people will say well they're a drain on our resources. They're taking jobs. But here we are talking about how this is the greatest economy and we've never had you know employment so strong well then there's room for everybody now isn't there i mean there was just a, a job fair here in chicago amazon has 6000 jobs they hardly had any turnout so we we obviously need people in a lot of jobs here i know that there are, there's a lot uh, a lot of farmers who are suffering because they can't get migrant workers immigrants are afraid to you know to be out there to come here for jobs.
0: Well, yeah, there's a lot of um, companies and executives who support Republicans who employ people who are not in the United States legally. uh, I mean, if you really wanted to combat uh, Immigrate, you know, illegal immigration, you would go after employers. It's a much more efficient way to do it. I've always thought that. <laughs> yeah. Instead of going after the individuals, but there's a lot of, you know, maybe political reasons or financial really? reasons. Really? You think that they're,
1: that. maybe they're worried about not getting their checks come election time? <laughs> I <laughs> that, will say, That legislation that they want to, hey, not for nothing, but if you could uh, smooth this over for me when that goes to bill. I, I will say, um, you know, another issue is, you know, why
0: you know they're actually change, trying to change the rules of the Trump administration for legal immigration you know one of the things that has really been a, a boon to our country is we get some of the most highly educated and motivated people from around the world who want to come here we get all of you know the 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 engineers and doctors and software developers and all sorts of people who want to come to the United States and we often make it difficult for some of those people to come. Um, there's we uh, there, in many ways we're draining the brains of other countries and bringing them here. Immigration has gen- overall been a boon to our country, and it's it's not only um, at times you know very morally wrong and and reprehensible some of the things that we're doing at the border that we've talked about, but um, just from purpose. From the perspective of keeping our country strong and growing our economy, uh, there are a lot of things that we can be doing to to grow it with with immigration.
1: But I don't like to see Spanish in my ballot. So that's <laughs> annoying. Why can't they speak English? I Honestly, immigration, it continues to be one of the number one issues for Trump supporters. It is it is in many
0: ways. You know, when we look back at some of the cultural issues that were touchstones at different times, you know, for example, at one point it was LGBT issues for the Republican Party 10, you know, plus years ago when, you know, there was these initiatives in the ballot to have, you know, marriage defined as between a man and a woman and so on. now that is, that's been, that issue has been settled. And the new issue is very much immigration. And I, you know, I think that that is in part because um, there are, you know, the percentage of, of white uh, voters in this country is going down or white citizens, right? It's it's becoming more of a majority minority country. Um, and that is concerning to people. I understand that that is a concern that people have. Um, what is disturbing to me is some of the, atro- I would call them atrocities that are being committed against people in service of a goal of, of lowering immigration from certain groups. But on top of that, I think hurting our country in the process—you uh, know, wasting prosecutorial resources, uh, you know, on on these misdemeanor prosecutions, for example—is just is crazy, irrespective of the atrocities that are being committed against, you know, for example, young children. Yeah, you know, one thing I think people—it's a—it's a useful misconception for me to clear up is people don't realize is that the system that we have for immigration in this country is not. A criminal law system, and it's not a court system in the way that our ordinary court system is. So, j- judges—you know—we spent a lot of time recently talking about Judge Kavanaugh, for example. You know, th- judges in this country are appointed by the President of the United States; they're confirmed by the Senate, and under Article Three of our Constitution, they have that job for life. It's very different than the j- immigration judges we have, who are essentially hired by the Justice Department uh, for, um, for a term of time. And it's not for the rest of their lives. They have different responsibilities and requirements. The type of court procedures that take place are different. People do not have the right to an attorney. At times they don't even have the right to see their attorney if they've hired one and can afford to hire one, which most cannot. Um, and the, you know, um, you were talking a moment ago, Patty, about where people are kept You know, people generally, if you're not charged with a misdemeanor, you are not kept in um, in uh, a federal prison. But you are. in essentially, you know, it's a type of it's like a prison where you are kept and detained until you can be deported. And so there are kind of a whole separate system of camps, prisons, whatever you want to call them, where people are detained, immigration facilities where people are detained separate and apart from. Uh, criminal custody
1: which is then again a whole s- private industry these are not these are not federally funded i mean not federally run programs they're not uh, they're not under the oversight of the legal system they're just groups that are like oh we'll house them i mean i don't know so i don't know about that actually I don't that's even, something we could, we'll have to ask oh let's ask yeah let's well, find someone we can ask
0: let's bring in david leopold he is the former president of the american immigration lawyers association david is a frequent commentator On issues involving immigration. He has testified before Congress and he often speaks on CNN about family separation and other immigration issues. Thank you for joining us, David. You know, Patty and I were just discussing the system by which people are detained. When they enter the border, can you explain to us what sort of facilities are people, you know, what are are used to detain people when they enter the border and how that system works?
2: Yeah, well, it it all depends. I mean, it it depends on where they enter, how they enter, but what happens is that they're detained by Customs and Border Protection. Those are the folks that, uh, that that greet people, as it were, at the border. Those are the ones who check the check the papers at the border. So if somebody crosses through. At a border checkpoint and they're going to be detained they then are referred to immigration and customs enforcement otherwise known as ice if somebody is apprehended between border checkpoints if they're coming in in a place that's not authorized uh usually they'll be apprehended by border patrol and border patrol will then write them up and turn them over to immigration and customs enforcement they detain them Either at local jails, or they detain them at uh, f- contract facilities, uh, or they can they detain them at um, Bureau of Prison facilities. So it, it depends where in the country uh, and uh, what what the local jurisdiction or what the local sector is doing.
1: Does that include where the children are being detained? Because that seems like it's all contracted facilities.
2: Yeah, those are contracted facilities, and also when you. When we talk about children, particularly unaccompanied minors, or actually even the kids that were separated and are continuing to be separated, uh, they are technically treated as unaccompanied minors and turned over to the Office of Refugee Resettlement. And they're detained. They're supposed to be detained in police restrictive environment and that sort of thing. Um, but that becomes a hodgepodge. Sometimes they're, they're detained in, in, in centers, uh, we literally saw those pictures of children being being held in kennels and in cages. Um, but they're supposed to be held in, in the least restrictive environment. Uh, so it it has been a nightmare what we have seen uh, since, well, over the last year, year and a half, what became public more in the spring. But it's, it's just been a nightmare the way they've been treating these children.
1: You know, a lot of people say, in particular Trump supporters, well, this is the this has been the policy going back years. And and the Obama administration had this policy. What do you say to those folks?
2: Well, what they're loosely talking about is family detention. And it is true that the Obama administration did detain families. It is true that immigration advocates and others, uh, civil rights advocates fought the Obama administration tooth and nail. And uh, there was an amendment, or, or there was a Flores litigation, that's the case, that, that covers child, children's detention. And the court, the court in the Ninth Circuit has ruled that, you know, if, if you're going to detain families, you still have to treat the children um, as if they're unaccompanied minors. Uh, and you can't simply lock up these children like you would an adult. Um, but Trump came in, and, and, and things changed, because what they instituted— was a policy that has never been instituted in the history of the country, and that's this this, this family separation. It's taking literally tearing children away from, from their mothers and from their fathers, uh, and and splitting them off.
0: So, so just to be clear, it would be it would be false to say that that family separation policy existed prior to the Trump administration.
2: Yes, that was a that cre- uh, was a creation of the Trump administration. And it was done as a deterrent. And they it, it, don't don't take my word for it. That's what General Kelly said. Both when he was at the Department of Homeland Security, and later on as Chief of Staff. That's what Kirsten Nielsen, the Secretary of Homeland Security, currently has said. Uh, that's what Jeff Sessions has said. Uh, they've all pretty much said that if you come to this country uh, and you enter uh, at a point other than as a designated, in other words, if you enter illegally, we're going to take your kid. Now, what they're not saying is that they're also going to take the kids, if they enter legally, at the ports of entry, which is what they've been doing as well. And um, so this insidious policy started with the Trump administration. There's no question.
0: You know, it's interesting. At one point, uh, Secretary Nielsen said that there was no family separation policy, but that, um, that does not appear to be accurate at all. I mean, anyone with two eyes can see that that's not the case.
2: She did say that. Um, And, you know, look, unfortunately, this administration uh, will be remembered for a lot of things, but it will not be remembered for telling the truth. And uh, when it came to family separation, they denied it uh, a year ago. They denied it. They denied that they were doing it as a policy um, in in the beginning of the year. And they denied it even after it became public uh, until it was just so plainly obvious they couldn't deny it anymore. So uh, for Secretary Nielsen, uh, for Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, to claim that this isn't happening or hasn't happened is, you know, another another lie from the Trump administration.
1: You know, I was uh, telling Renato before we got on the phone with you that I think one of the issues uh, that for the public, at least, is it seems hard to maintain the outrage. Obviously, this is is incomprehensible it is uh it is it is a hardship that is unnecessary but you know the public can't seem to, to really they a lot of people thought that it was resolved they thought that well there were court orders and these kids have been you know they're dealing with it that kids have been reunited or they found other solutions do you do you consider that part of the problem is that people can't necessarily maintain the outrage necessary to make changes on this
2: I think that is part of the problem, and I think what the Trump administration did in in reaction to the, um, not only the the national outrage, but uh, the international uh, revulsion at what was going on back in June and July, uh, they issued that executive order. And if you read that executive order, uh, purportedly ending family separation, if you read it carefully, it does not say that they're going to end family separation. Uh, and indeed, they haven't. Now, um, the scale of it is really kind of unknown because it's it's, it's surreptitious. Uh, what they've done is are, are, are neat little legal tricks. For example, um, they say that they will separate the parent from the child when it's in the best interest of the child. And so what they do is if there's a minor criminal offense in, in the parent's history, They'll separate. Now, we don't do that in the United States. We do not take children from their parents because the parent may have committed a theft offense 10 years ago. We have in the United States, at least as it relates to the rest of the country, we have um, probate courts and, and state courts that deal very carefully with taking children from parents. It's a very difficult thing to do, as it should be. Uh, but this administration has done that, and they are continuing to do that. Um and in direct answer to your question, you know, it, it, it is part of the problem. I mean, one of the things with the, the Trump administration is that the focus, the attention focuses from one uh, from one um, scandal to the next, it seems, day by day. And this the, the child separation problem uh, tragedy um, within the media. Front and center for weeks. Uh, but what seemed to calm it down was that executive order. And that executive order was just meant to buy time, the executive order purportedly ending family separation. I do wish the American public would focus more on what's really happening.
0: Well, you know, there's also something that we talked a little bit about earlier in the podcast uh, that I called, and I think it's been called by others, the zero tolerance policy. I wondered if you yes. could talk to us about the consequences of that zero tolerance policy, which is, to me, as a former prosecutor, is shocking.
2: Yeah, yeah, as it should be. Uh, and and rather, what you're referring to is the policy that was announced by Jeff Sessions. And under that policy, anybody who enters the country other than at a port of entry, in other words, between ports of entry at an unauthorized place, will be prosecuted for illegal entry. Under 8 um, USC 1325, and that is a federal misdemeanor. So it's it's it, it's a relatively minor crime. Uh, there's not a lot of jail time that goes with it. And as a federal prosecutor, you know that most of these people who who are charged are going to be zero to six on the guy, zero to six months possible. And so it's it's easier to simply plead guilty to something like this than to wait around for a hearing. And so they know that the government knows that, the Department of Justice knows that. So these are easy prosecutions. And they were prosecuting all of these people who were coming in to apply for asylum if they didn't didn't come into Port of Entry. That is an insidious policy for a number of reasons. First of all, the law says under section two oh eight of the Immigration and Nationality Act that an individual, a non citizen, can apply for asylum regardless of how they get here, even if they enter the country without documentation, even if they enter other than at a port of entry. That is completely inconsistent uh, with charging somebody with a crime for entering to apply for asylum. And so my my, my, my position is that those prosecutions uh, are actually in violation of the law. The problem is it's very difficult to uh, defend against those prosecutions because we can, by the time you you argue these legal positions, the person could be out of jail. And there's a lot of pressure, obviously, for these people to plead guilty. Um, The other thing about this zero tolerance policy that's that's awful is that what they did was they said, look, if you come in at a port of entry, you're not going to be separated. You, You need to apply for asylum at a port of entry. What they then did was they started turning away people at ports of entry. The OIG, the Office of Inspector General, and others have concluded that there were people who were turned away as many as three times from ports of entries. Wow. So what happens is these folks, these asylum seekers, and remember they're coming up from, they're coming up from horrific violence in, in, in Central America and, in the Triangle of, of Honduras, Guatemala, um, and El Salvador. Many of them, and by the time they get up here. They have been they have been running from violence along the corridor. Many of the women have been raped. Uh, they've been robbed. They've been they've been subjected to all kinds of criminal activity on the way up. By the time they get up here, they come to a port of entry, and the border patrol or the board, the CB Customs and Border Protection officer turns them away. They become desperate. These people are already desperate, and they they cross at the nearest point. Then they get charged. So it's almost as if the Trump administration created this uh, wave of people uh, to come in so that they could charge them. And then what happens? It gets even worse than that. The attorney general of the United States, Jeff Sessions, has has oversight of the immigration courts and can overrule precedent decisions of, of the Board of Immigration Appeals by a stroke of a pen. And so what J- Jeff Sessions did in June or July was he— issued a decision which purports to uh, make it extremely difficult for women who are facing domestic violence and gang violence, others uh, facing gang violence, to qualify for asylum. But what's most insidious about that opinion is that that isn't bad enough. He drops a footnote at the very end of that opinion. It's called matter of AV. And what he says is, if you come into this country, other than at a port of entry, We are going to hold that against you in making a decision on your asylum claim. So the federal government of the United States, under the administration of Donald Trump, is setting it up so that these refugees coming up from Central America fleeing horrific violence, gang violence, domestic violence, and other types of violence are not only not easily allowed to apply for asylum, but they're more easily prosecuted And then, when they do apply for asylum, the situation that the federal government, that the Trump administration has put them in, is now, i.e., applying other than the port of entry, coming in illegally, is now used against them, uh, even though the law permits them to do. Exactly what they did. I apologize for that long-winded answer, but it's just there's so much going on here uh, that the Trump administration is is doing that's just uh, absolutely repulsive.
0: Well, it's out. It's certainly outrageous, and it's important for people to understand the context because, and I explained this a little earlier on the podcast. People think of our court system. Uh, and they're thinking of the the typical court system we have what article three judges, and I explained that a little earlier on the podcast. And immigration judges are different, as you point out. And I think it's important for people to understand the difference between the immigration system and the court of courts of law that people are used to in this country and that we are often read about uh, you know in the news or, or hear about in the news. And along those lines, I want, to ask you to to help people understand, can you explain to people why it is that children are being permitted to represent themselves in these proceedings?
2: Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, you're, you're you're obviously referring to the uh, the three year olds and and, and 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 others that stand alone in immigration court before a judge and plead their asylum cases. It's absurd. Uh, you wouldn't think that that happens in the United States, but it does. And here's the reason why. Immigration law, even though it involves locking people up sometimes for for years and years, even though it involves banishing people from from the country and splitting up families and sometimes sending people to their death in in countries uh, that are that are um, where people are waiting for them, governmental agents are waiting for them to kill them. It is civil; it is not criminal. And so, the Sixth Amendment right to uh, representation at the expense of the government, which we find, which is constitutionally mandated um, for folks who are charged uh, with a criminal um, under a criminal statute, does not apply in immigration. So, therefore, while you do have the right to an attorney, you. Do not have the right to an attorney at the expense uh, of the government in immigration court. So when you have a three-year-old child or five-year, you know, any kind of any child, they uh, they're, they're not, let alone conceive of what it is to hire a lawyer. They don't have money to hire a lawyer, so they find themselves thrown into immigration court um, and literally having to defend themselves under a very complex and difficult, uh, statute. Uh, it, it is absolutely absurd.
0: It's ridiculous. And
2: it's mind boggling. Wow.
0: It is. So, you know, I, I will tell you, um, I earlier this week tweeted about the New Yorker article about the five year old mm-hmm. child who was detained at the border and then she was convinced to sign away her right to a florist mm-hmm. hearing. Uh, and, P, the question that everyone asks me is, how could that possibly be valid? How could a child's signature have any legal effect? Um, and right. that it really, the answer to that stems from what you just said a moment ago, right?
2: It does and it doesn't. I mean, yes, uh, it, it does to the extent that that poor child, uh, the three-year-old, did not have an attorney standing with her. Uh, but also under Flores. Uh, that never should have happened. And, of course, that signature was not valid. Of course, that's that's absurd for them to suggest, for them, the Department of Homeland Security, to suggest that this child somehow waived her right to a bond hearing. In fact, the Ninth Circuit just last year reiterated in very strong language that children in Flores' situation, detained children, unaccompanied minors, have the right to a bond hearing. Uh, so... The absurdity just doesn't end. What happened in this particular case that the New Yorker discussed uh, was that uh, people found out about it. That's the difference. Um, and obviously, somebody coerced this child or wrote, for, wrote, wrote in, I don't want a bond hearing for this child. Check that box. Um, and that person, there should be an investigation. Um, and that person should be appropriately disciplined. Uh, that kind of thing should never happen. I actually had a case years ago uh, on the Mexican border. Uh, this was not a three year old, he was a 17 year old. And they roughly did the same thing to him. And we did file a suit uh, in civil court uh, against the government uh, on that point. And, um, and it, it resolved favorably. I mean, they just can't do that. The Department of Homeland Security has no business coercing babies. Babies into making into signing away their legal rights. Yeah, I will it say it, it, even it, if it,
0: it, even if it was legally permitted, uh, those the, honestly everyone involved in that should be ashamed of themselves. That is absolute evil. Every person evil yeah. is what it is.
1: I'm yeah. sure if I read the Flores legislation or whatever it was they had her sign, I wouldn't understand it. You know, but I would, at least <laughs> I would be. You're calling it legislation. I, I don't even know that. the Flores right. I'm like <laughs> I, I I don't know what I'm signing, but I'm if you're telling me to sign, it, I'm sure it's perfectly fine. But you know that would be me knowing. Not knowing anything, <laughs> you know I mean? but, a five- but a five-year-old. But,
2: but that's correct. Yeah, you're right. I mean, if, 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 if an adult stands there and they say, "If you want to waive your right to a bond hearing, etc., etc.", an adult is not going to understand that unless they're schooled in immigration law, right? And understand what the consequences mean. You're right.
0: Yeah, I mean, the idea. I mean, someone involved in essentially tricking a child into signing away her right to anything is ridiculous. That is absolutely reprehensible. Even if it was permitted by the law, those people should be ashamed of themselves. They are absolutely evil.
1: And, and Do you happen to know, no, it's I mean, I, it, it's, it is child abuse. And, and a lot of people consider this to be essentially kidnapping, right? So yeah. what, what happens after, we know that with Helen, she was uh, eventually placed in a foster care. They lost her in the system. They had to track her down. Is that, yeah. is that essentially what's happening to a lot of these kids once they're coerced into yeah. signing over their rights? They're just lost in the system?
2: Even if they get that far, I mean, Helen, that child, as horrible as that was, in the end, she was lucky because she was reunited. And that's only because some amazing activists um, got a hold of that case and didn't let it go. Um, But I shudder to think, you know, how many other children are still in that system and and how many others are never going to get out of that system? Or how many parents um, were, were deported before they could be reunited with their children and have no way? Of reuniting with their children, uh, it, it, it is mind-boggling what this country, what, what, the, the criminal activity. And I'm gonna, I know it's a strong word, but there's no other word to describe it. You, you use the term kidnapping, and I don't think that's too strong either. Uh, look, one of these days, what they did was when they, when they, when they employed this, when they instituted this, this despicable a child separation policy, as a deterrent as they put it, to keep people from coming up here to do what's legal, apply for asylum, when they instituted that, they had no plan. They had no plan to reunify the children. And the reason they had no plan is because the system, first of all, they didn't care. But second of all, the system that's designed for the children is designed for unaccompanied children. So there's no reunification with the the parent because there's no parent. The children come in unaccompanied. And when these children came in, this set of children came in with their parents, then they treated them legally like unaccompanied children. They did not bother to put a system in place to track these children or to, to reunify them in the future. Um, it is, in my opinion, uh, it, it's criminal. And, and I think one day when the horror of this administration is, is passes, uh, we are going to have to have some sort of an investigation. And perhaps that's coming soon. Um, if, if Congress, after the election, is in a position to 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 do some real oversight um, of of uh, this administration and what they're up to, because Lord knows we need it.
0: Well, you know, and I spoke last week about the importance of the midterm election. So I'll underscore that again for everyone listening, how much. The outcome of the of the midterm elections will matter. Mm-hmm. Um, but let me just before before we, we end, I do want to ask you, there are legal actions pending against the Trump administration. And uh, I, I will I have followed I have followed uh, some of the proceedings and it is. It's very interesting to see the judge. Uh, there's one judge in particular trying to grapple with, you know, or you mm-hmm. know, ordering the Trump administration to reunite families and and getting answers, saying, "Well, look, we've tried our best. We can't locate people, et cetera." Right. What are the difficulties associated with reuniting families, and 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 is that even possible?
2: Well, yeah, you're talking about the Matter of Al case in San Diego, mm-hmm. and that was a valiant effort by. A good friend of mine, Legal learned at the ACLU, just an amazing effort and, and successful, uh, successful effort to to get a court order stopping the family the family separation uh, and ordering reunification. I, I got to tell you, um, I think it's a very difficult, very difficult situation, because, like I said before, the Trump administration separated these children, three thousand of them, plus without any real plan or thought toward how to reunify them. Uh, So in many cases, it's it's looking for needles in a haystack. I know that the ACLU itself has been very involved in trying to find parents. Remember, parents who came in with these children, many of them were deported before the children were. All the children are still in the U.S., so they're down in places like Guatemala and El Salvador. And we're not, you know, we're talking about, Remote places where there's no access to Internet, there's no access to telephone in many cases, uh, literally sending people down to go into the streets to look for people in these small towns. So I'm hopeful, you know, beyond hope that at some point all these children will be reunited or the parents will know where their children are. Uh, but that that is a very difficult proposition. And then you have, you know, you have the Trump administration that is not interested in really reuniting the children. So they're kind of dragging their feet. Uh, they're not really, in my opinion, acting in good faith in terms of moving this thing forward. And in fact what they're doing, rather than taking the time and listening to what the judge and, and, and Judge Sabor in, in, in the matter of L case out in California has ruled, they're they're scheming to re up the family separation policy again. And that's what they're really interested in doing. This is not about border security. It isn't. This is not about keeping our borders safe. This is not even about frivolous asylum cases. What this is about is the Trump administration's effort to really close down the country, uh, to rid the country, particularly of people of color, um, and and focus on on, on Latinos and actually um, folks from Africa. Uh, that they're, they're focusing on in places like Columbus, Mortanians and, and other West Africans. This is, um, uh, I don't think it's too strong to say that the, the, the immigration policy of the United States has nothing to do with border security. It has to do with, with making the country white again. Honestly, that's what I see as a practitioner and somebody who's been involved in this for, for many years. That's the focus.
0: If people are listening to this podcast and they're outraged and they're concerned, what can they do to help?
2: Vote. You said it yourself, Rando. They should vote. People need to get out and vote. Um, and and that's what they can do immediately, uh, of course, because the election's coming up and make sure that, that, uh, that, that their voices are heard in the Senate and House races and in the gubernatorial races. But also uh, they can... They can contact their local um, groups, Catholic charities, um, American Civil Liberties Union. Um, there are many immigration. There are many immigration groups, in, in a lot of towns and a lot of places across the country uh, that are working with families that are, are offering support to to some of the displaced children. Uh, and if lawyers, for example, their the volunteered lawyers are needed, not just on the border. Uh, you know, places like Cleveland or Chicago or um, cities that are in the interior. Those children have been dispersed all over the country. And like I said before, there is no right to pay counsel. So there is a real need for volunteer lawyering, for pro bono counsel. In Cleveland, um, where I practice, we raised nearly a million dollars earlier this year uh, for, uh, for um pro bono and low bono representation of unaccompanied minors. Those kinds of efforts across the country would be really important. So um, give time and, if possible, give money to reputable organizations.
0: Thank you so much for being on our show today. We really appreciate it, David.
1: Yeah, great talking to you. Excellent job.
2: Oh, it was was great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well,
0: thanks. We want to do whatever we can to highlight this issue, and um, you are fantastic.
2: Well, you know I, I appreciate that, and um you know this is this is uh, just such a you know if you wanted to talk about the horrors of this administration vis-a-vis immigration, maybe you could go on for two or three hours and- <laughs> <laughs> <just> about- <laughs> well <laughs> I think I think you guys hit the right point.
1: Well, we have to keep ringing that alarm bell and we we thank you so much for for working on this so hard. Oh my pleasure um, thanks for what you guys are doing. I mean, this is a great conversation, and I mentioned earlier that it's hard to sustain outrage, but I'm sure there will be something else. What What do you think uh, is going to be happening in the next few weeks as we head into the midterms?
0: Well, we're continuing to see reports regarding Donald Trump's taxes. Uh, as a matter of fact, while we were recording this podcast, uh, reports came out that Jared Kushner has not paid taxes for many years, um, and... We will certainly continue uh, to hear about the ongoing investigation. Um, not only as Trump, for example, uh, you know, continued to refuse to sit down for questions, but he his lawyers have been answering written questions. The uh, ju- Justice Department uh, is continuing to investigate uh, Trump, uh, Trump Organization uh, officials and 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 workers. But I will say this to everyone listening to this podcast. If you let any of these things distract you from the midterm elections you are doing it wrong those elections matter so you shouldn't just vote you should donate you should organize you should canvass and you should get your friends to do the same those elections will determine the future of this country
1: yeah especially the young folks get those guys out there those kids are they're not they're the smallest group of voters anyway thank you so much Renata
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of On Topic. Please subscribe to this podcast, go to your app and review the podcast, and join us for our next episode. I'm Renato Mariotti. Until next time, let's stay on topic.